been a good day together. God is at work in here in our body this morning, and it's really uh, my pleasure this morning to introduce you to a, a good friend of mine. Uh, about four years ago, I started here at Broadway, almost exactly four years ago, and uh, my second week in the office, uh, Pastor Bob Yalber gave me a call, and he said, uh, uh, Ryan, I'd like to, to take you out for the day, and I'd like to introduce you to uh, some of the, the Christian leaders in our city that I think you need to meet. And uh, the first person that Pastor Bob introduced me to was this man here, uh, Tony Opliger. Uh, Tony is the pastor at Northeast Christian Church up on Stellhorn. Uh, back in the 90s, a group of families out of Broadway uh, started Northeast Christian. And uh, since uh, meeting Tony about four years ago, it has been uh, a blessing to be his friend and to be a partner in the ministry. Those first couple of years um, here at Broadway, Tony, as you helped me to uh, reorient myself to pastoral ministry here uh, in Fort Wayne was, um, it was just a blessing to me. It was a gift. And uh, Tony and I, every once in, a while, once in a while, will be at uh, Old Crown Coffee House talking about uh, pastoral life, talking about sermons, working through sermons together. And as you know, we've joined together with Northeast a couple of times in the last year to do sermon series together. Back in, uh, in December, we uh, did an Advent series together on Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And this summer, they have been preaching through the Psalms of the Saints as we have here at Broadway. Uh, so Tony has a wife, Hannah, and they have four kids, uh, just like uh, Katie and I, and they live two blocks from us, and their kids are about the same age. Uh, so we're just having fun together. So, <laughs> But um, whenever I, I meet with Tony, uh, I, I go away uh, with great hope that the kingdom of God is real, that it is here, and that it is coming. And uh, he is a great brother in the Lord. I'd like to pray for him and to pray for Nor Northeast and for the word that he has for us today. God in heaven, we do give you thanks for the unity that we share in the gospel. We thank you for the unity that we share in the work that you've called us to do. And we thank you uh, for Northeast Christian and the work that you have called them to do and to play their part in uh, your work here in Fort Wayne. Lord, so we ask that you would be with Tony now, that you would speak through him. And Father God, that we would be uh, good listeners of your word today. In Christ's name, amen. We all know? All right. Well, thank you for the batteries. And Ryan, thanks a lot, brother. I really appreciate that. And I just want to say that um, it, is, it is truly such an honor for me to get to be here with all of you. Um, I think so highly of Broadway Christian Church. I'm so thankful for the, the good work that God has uh, so obviously been at work doing in you and among you and through you as a church over many years now. Uh, I believe that Broadway has a really special place in the church of Fort Wayne, and that not only in that, but in the unfolding story of the city of Fort Wayne as well. Um, as Ryan mentioned, uh, I've had the privilege of getting to know uh, Pastor Bob Yalberg. I'm sure most, if not all of you know, that he's the founding pastor of this church, and over the past eight years now, he's been mentoring and discipling me. And in fact, I just got to talk with him again this week, and he has influenced me over these past eight years in a profound way. And I've heard many of the stories that, uh, God, of what God has done among you, both of the start of this church and of the things that he has done throughout the years among you. So, um, and now, over the past four years, as Ryan said, 
said, uh, I've just really had the privilege of getting to know Pastor Ryan here. I'm so thankful for him. As he said, we're friends, we're neighbors, and we're partners in the good news of Jesus along with all of you. Just this week, uh, he and I and a handful of other pastors got together, and we just cried out to God. We prayed to God for this church, for, for Northeast, for the Church of Fort Wayne, and for this city. And so... It really is, I mean this, it really is an honor to get to, to be here today. It's a joy, and it's a privilege for me to stand up here and to serve in this way. And as Ryan mentioned, uh, I think he mentioned, but we're going to be in a psalm this morning, and it's going to be Psalm 126. So if you would like to turn in the Bible, we're going to be in Psalm 126. I love it that Northeast and Broadway have been working through the Psalms of Ascent at the same time. And those, as you may know, are from Psalm 120 to 134. And this morning, we're going to take a look at Psalm 126. And as you may know, the Psalms, the Psalms are a collection of 150 ancient Hebrew songs. They are poetic songs. And these songs were crafted over a period of around 1,000 years by many different authors and artists. And one of the great artists of our own day, a man often called Bono of the band U2, has said that these psalms can basically be broken down into two categories, gospel songs and the blues. Gospel songs and the blues. And that's not exactly accurate, but Bono is actually pretty close. Some of the psalms are what we might call gospel or good news songs filled with joy and praise and thanksgiving, while many of the rest of them, many of the rest of them are the blues. Songs filled with sadness and suffering and confusion and even anger. And they are all, the Psalms are all, regardless of which category they might fit into, they are all beautiful and wonderful and real and raw. And they all, in their own unique ways, reveal who God is and what life in his kingdom is like. Let me say that again. The Psalms, in their own unique way and very poetic ways, reveal who God is like, what the God of the universe is like, and they reveal what it looks like for us to live with him as our king. And as followers of Jesus, that is what we are all about. And this particular song, Psalm 126, has two parts to it. It can be broken down into two parts or two stanzas, if you will, and each part is full of poetry and imagery and emotion. And what we will see is that this song, this particular song, can be categorized as the blues. This is one of those songs that can be categorized in what, as what is often called a lament. And a lament is just simply a prayer to God. That's important. It's a prayer to God in the midst of and in response to sorrow, suffering, and pain. The sorrow, suffering, and pain, yes, that is out there in the world, but also the sorrow, suffering, and pain that is very real in our own lives as well. And my brothers and sisters, my dear brothers and sisters of Broadway, learning to lament Learning to rightly respond to the very real suffering, sorrow, and pain in our lives. Learning to lament is a vital part of following Jesus. And this song here, this song helps to lead us in that direction. And part one of the song can be summarized in this way. Verses one through three can be summarized as 
It's going to come up here on the screen as recalling the great things God has done for us. Recalling the great things God has done for us. The artist writes this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. And everybody agreed and said, by the way, I, I like to say that every once in a while during the message just to make sure that we're all moving together, okay? And I also just want to throw out there, I don't know what this is normally like, but I want to throw out that you are free to say amen even if I don't prompt you for it. <laughs> amen? amen? That doesn't count because I prompted you for it. So one of the songs that the church in general today often sings is the old song, Come Thou Fount. The old beloved, very beautiful song, Come Thou Fount. And this song was written 260 years ago. And so it has some words in it that most of us no longer use. The first stanza begins, as many of you know, in this beautiful way. It says, Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And then the next stanza begins with what I think might be some potentially confusing lines when it says, it's going to come up here on the screen, it says, here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come. And to be honest, every time that we sing those lines, now in our context, there's, at Northeast, we have a number of previously unchurched people. We've got some younger people who haven't been around this setting, and they're not familiar with these songs. And so when we sing those lines, I'm always wondering, like, what are people thinking right now as we sing this? Like, am I helping up an old greedy miser who does not know the true meaning of Christmas to his feet? Like, you know, like raising Ebenezer Scrooge above my head or whatever. Here I raise my Ebenezer. We have high school students that sit right behind us, right up front right behind Hannah and me and when we sing those lines it's like I hear some snickering I think behind me here I raise my Ebenezer hither by thy help I'm come what is going on here so as many of you perhaps know this is actually a Hebrew word actually this is two Hebrew words put together Eben which means stone and Ezer which means help and so Eben Ezer or as we sing it, Ebenezer means stone of help. And it comes from a story found in the book of 1 Samuel when the Philistine army, one of the times, the Philistine army was launching an all-out massive attack upon the Israelites. And in response, under the leadership of Samuel, the Israelites turned to God. They cried out to God. And it says that God, in response, in response helped them. God helped the Israelites by thundering, the story says, by thundering with such a loud thunder that the noise itself basically dismantled the Philistine army and the Israelites had the victory. And it says that in response, Samuel put a stone there in that place. And he called it Eben Ezer. So that every time the people in that generation and for the generations to come, every time the people would see that stone, they would recall the help that God had given them. Here I raise my Ebenezer, my Ebenezer, my stone of help, reminding me and all who see it that it is by thy help, O God, 
that it is by thy help that I've come this far. Amen. Amen. And that's what's happening in the song, Come Thou Found. And that is what is happening here in the first part of this ancient Hebrew song. The people are recalling the great things God has done for us. In other words, this first part of the song, this first stanza is looking back. The community is looking back and recalling, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, which is just another name for the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's just important to point out here that there has been all kinds of scholarly debate over the years, good scholarly debate about what exactly that first line says in the Hebrew. It's a little bit hard to understand. In fact, if you, if you have a Bible open in front of you, it probably has a footnote and gives another option or two there. And many believe that, it, depending on one translation of it, many believe that this is specifically talking about the situation with the people looking back and remembering, recalling when God rescued them from exile, when he rescued them from exile in Babylon. And that could very well be. However, it could also be when the people are looking back and remembering the time, recalling the time that God rescued them from slavery in Egypt in the Exodus. Or it could be the people looking back on one of the many times God rescued King David or on one of the many times God rescued the people from some enemy. But regardless of the specific context in which this song was written and sung, it is clear here that God had turned things around. That's what that word restored means. It means to turn around. Remember the, when the Lord turned our situation around. We were enslaved, and God turned it around and brought us into freedom. We were in trouble, and God turned it around and brought us peace. We were in exile, and God turned it around and brought us home. And when that happened, when that happened, it was too good to be true. It was like one of those dreams, you know what I mean? It was like one of those dreams that was too good be, to be true. When that happened, the song says, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths, notice the poetry here, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations. So now even the nations of the earth are looking at what God has done for his covenant people. And the nations say, the Lord has done great things for them. And in response, the people say, yes, we remember, we recall. The Lord has indeed done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. This coming up here on the screen is a picture of my family. Uh, my wife, Hannah, and as Ryan said, we have four children, um, ages seven, six, three, and nine months, which means, among many other things, that to take a picture where everybody is looking at the camera and smiling is nearly impossible. And so you'll notice down there, uh, we almost got it, but our three-year-old son, Moses, is making some kind of silly face. We almost had everyone, but Moses, this is a total side note, Moses is like a fully three-year-old boy right now, so he's crazy, and he thinks the whole world revolves around him, if you know what I mean. Just last night, I was tucking him and his brother in. I'd read them a story, and I had forgot their water, so I was leaving the room to go get some water for them before I prayed, and Moses yells out, little three-year-old boy in his voice, he says, Daddy, you forgot to pray to me. <laughs> Which basically sums up Moses right now. <laughs> anyway, 
right there in the middle of that picture is our six-year-old son, Sages. And he was born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and we adopted him. And when I think about recalling the great things God has done for us, his story is one of the very first things that comes to my heart and mind. You see, I vividly remember the day in December 2014 when I came home to Hannah on the kitchen floor weeping. Like that I am just undone, uncontrollable kind of weeping. Because she had just received a call from our adoption agency telling us that after being in the adoption process for Saj for a, over a year and a half at that point, that the adoption was off. That everything that we had poured into it and into him was off. And it wasn't just heartbreaking, it was like heart ripping in two. You see, a year and a half before that, Hannah and I had said yes to adopting Sages, and at that point, we just had no idea what was in store for us. I could stand here this morning for a few hours, I think, and tell the story. It's a long story. But in short, we expected the process from that point to take three to six months. That's what they were telling us. That's how long it was taking kids to get home from Congo. But right during that time, the Congolese government stopped allowing adopted kids to leave the country. And then at the very lowest point of the story, the American government stepped in and told us that we were not allowed to adopt this particular boy. And that was the call that Hannah had just received that day. And so, again, very long story short this morning, it took us two trips to the Democratic Re Republic of Congo. It took us hiring an international attorney to work with the Congolese government. It took us hiring another international attorney to work with the American government. It took lots of communication and paperwork back and forth. It took almost $70,000, which means it took the incredible generosity of so many people around us. And even with all of that, even with all of that, it looked like it was not gonna happen. But finally, and may I say, miraculously, two and a half long years in, God turned it around. You guys, in an unexpected way, God turned it around. And on December 21, 2015, Sajess arrived here in the United States of America, and we welcomed him into our arms and our family and our community. Amen. Praise God. Yes. And when we drove home, we picked him up in Chicago. And when we drove home, what was waiting for us was a crowd of people near our home. You see this next picture here. A crowd of people with, with signs and little kids and big kids and adults and flags of the DR Congo all welcoming Saj. And they were yelling and cheering and jumping up and down. And the sound of it, the sound of it was heard throughout the whole neighborhood. And it was the sound of joy shouts, and like the song says, songs of joy. And in this first part of Psalm 126, the people look back together and they say, remember when. Remember when God turned our situation around. Remember when God helped us and did great things for us while we were so filled with joy. And then... This poetic, I said, and then. <laughs> that's, what, that's happened to me before. But amen? Amen. And then the poetic song here takes a, an interesting turn. 
And now the second part of the song can be summarized in this way. Crying out to God to do it again. The first part, recalling the great things God has done for us. And then the second, crying out to God to do it again. And if we just had that first part of the song, that first stanza, those first three verses, then this would just be purely a joyful and happy song of praise. It would be one of those purely gospel or good news songs that we love to sing. But now we see, and as we get into it now, we even feel that this second part of the song makes the entire song the blues. Something here for the artist who crafted it and for those who enter in and pray it, something here is clearly wrong. There is some need, some kind of sorrow, some pain, some suffering of some kind. And as a result, the community is now in a place of needing to cry out to God to do great things for us yet again. It says, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And everybody agreed and said, amen. And you may notice here that those are some of the same lyrics that you find in the first half. And so these two parts are intentionally put together. In the very first line of the song, it says, when God restored our fortunes, remember that? Restored means to turn around. When God restored our fortunes, and now here the first line is, oh God, restore our fortunes. In other words, oh God, turn things around again. Oh God, do great things for us again. Eugene Peterson in the message captures this line so well when he says, and now God, do it again. That's a good prayer. Oh God, do it again. Bring the rains, Peterson writes, bring the rains to our drought-stricken lives. And that is the poetic imagery the artist uses here in the song. Here's a picture of the, of the Negev coming up on the screen. The Negev is a dry, barren desert. Back in the... Back in the day now, back in the academic year of 1999-2000, um, I had the opportunity to go to school in Athens, Greece, there in Southern Europe. And when I was there, I made a, a really good friend from Cairo, Egypt. And for spring break 2000, oh yeah, <laughs> for spring break 2000, I got to go with my friend to Egypt. And the very first night, I flew in, and the very first night, he wanted, he was determined to show me the pyramids. And it was night, and so the normal tourist stuff was closed. And so my friend drove to the outskirts of the city of Cairo, and he started talking with these Bedouin folks. And I had no idea what they were saying because they were speaking in Arabic. But the next thing I knew, we were all getting on horses to ride out, ride out into the desert toward the pyramids. I like literally rode through the desert on a horse with no name. <laughs> and it was sand and it was, and it was rocks. And actually the terrain was like up and down. And there was this Bedouin boy who was with us. He was probably 10 years old. And uh, every once in a while he would whistle or maybe he was speaking horse. I don't know what was going on, but he would, whatever noise he was making, my, when he did it, my horse would go faster and faster. And that was supposed to be like this really amazing experience for me. But to be honest, it was incredibly stressful. <laughs> okay. I just, I just wanted it to be over. 
But it was also at the same time, like, incredible because we came up over this one little hill and there they were, the, the great pyramids of Egypt. It was like, like the song says, it was kind of like a dream. And we were there, it was dark, so we were only there for a bit, and then somehow we rode the horses back. And my friend, being determined to show me the pyramids, took me back first thing in the morning when it was light to see them again. And I was, of course, amazed by the pyramids in the light, but I was also amazed by the desert. For the first time in my life, ever seeing it, that just barrenness, just sand and rocks for as far in one direction as the eye could see. And Egypt, where I was, is just southwest of this piece of land called the Negev. The, the Negev is this large area in the south of Israel that the people called the Negev, which in Hebrew just simply means dry or parched. That's what they called it. The Negev was a large, parched, baked dry by the sun piece of land. And here in the song, the artist poetically compares the people's current life situation to that place. And this, my brothers and sisters, I believe is where we want to, want to allow this sacred song to bring us in and to do something among us. Because today, perhaps, perhaps you are familiar with the Negev. You know what I mean? In fact, I would say that all of us in here, to one degree or another, are familiar with the Negev. There is some relationship in life. There is some circumstance, some sickness, some depression, some fear, some pain, some dryness toward life, or even some dryness toward God. A prodigal son, a prodigal daughter, some confusion, some nagging questions like, God, where are you? God, why do you seem so silent? God, what about this mess in the world? God, what about this mess right here in my own soul? And not only is it dry, but it's hard. And let's recognize, brothers and sisters, you know, in a room this size, that for some right in here, this season is not just hard, but it's, it's really hard, really painful. And maybe even like on the floor, I am undone, uncontrollable, weeping, kind of hard for some. And whatever it is, whatever degree it is in this season for all of us, that part of life feels like a drought-stricken desert. And the question is, my brothers and sisters, what do we do when we're in that place? What do we as followers of Jesus do when we find ourselves in the Negev? And this, I believe, is why these blues songs, these lament songs that are all over the Psalter are so important for us. You see, these kinds of psalms teach us that even though it is hard and sometimes incredibly hard, as followers of Jesus, when the pain and sorrow and suffering comes, as followers of Jesus, we resist the urge to bail or give up or hide or harden our hearts, which is so often the way so many go when, when trials come our way. We resist the urge to give up. We resist the urge to harden our hearts. As followers of Jesus, these songs teach us that we also resist the temptation to run somewhere else to try to find that joy. 
some relationship, some habit, some form of entertainment or whatever idol we can find that offers it. These songs teach us and they move us to realize that as followers of Jesus, we also, and this one, again, I don't know most of you. I don't know the culture here, but I know in the church in general, I think what I'm about to say might strike a chord because these songs teach us as followers of Jesus, we resist the temptation to somehow try to ignore the pain. To just, to just bury it or to even try to put on a happy face in the name of Jesus. No, rather, in the midst of all of the suffering, sorrow, and pain, this ancient song and those like it invite us as God's people to honestly, to honestly cry out to God. To humbly and to honestly, with all of the emotions with all of the confusion, with all of the tough, unanswered questions, to lament, to cry out to God, oh God, I don't understand this. I have this unanswered question. This is so confusing to me. Oh God, it hurts so bad and I'm crying out. We are crying out to you for help. Oh God, do it again. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Just, and here's the two parts coming together, just as you have done before. And I believe this, brothers and sisters, is the heart of the message this morning. We are strengthened in our resolve to keep going and to keep crying out to God for help by recalling the great things God has already done for us. Let me say that again, because again, these, this song offers to teach us how to lament, and this is an important piece of lamenting. We are strengthened in our resolve to keep going and to keep crying out to God for help by recalling the great things he has already done for us. And so let me ask you, what are those things? What are the great things God has done for us? Church, I believe this is one of the most important kingdom practices that we can do together as a people, recalling the great things God has done for us. And so again, I ask, what are they? What are they? What are the great things God has done for us that we see in the pages of scripture? Those truths and those stories, those are ours as God's covenant people in Jesus, amen? What are the great things that God has done for you, Broadway, together as a church. This is one of the beauties of being the church together is that your story is your story is your story is your story. We share in this. And so what are those, those stories that Pastor Bob has told me? Those are part of your story. And so what are they? And what are the great things God has done for you in your life and in your journey? My brothers and sisters, I encourage you as a practice to talk about those things. Even today around the table with whoever you're going to sit around the table with, talk about those things. Write them down. Find creative ways to recall them, to recall the great things God has done for us. Amen? Amen. A couple days after... God turned things around and our son Sajas finally came home. Some dear friends came over to our house and they gave us this beautiful stone. 
and it is for us an Eben Ezer. It is an Eben, a stone of help. So that every time we look at this thing, every time we see it, we recall the great things God has done for us. And what it does is it strengthens us to keep going. It reminds us of them in a way that strengthens us to keep following Jesus while crying out to him in the midst of any and all suffering and trials that we may face. Believing that as the song says, those who sow with tears will, will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will, did you hear that today? Will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And my brothers and sisters, that is what we do. We remind each other of what God has done. We find ways to remind one another of what God has done for us again and again and again. And in those places and times in which we desperately, in which we desperately, some of you are in this place, we desperately need him to move. We cry out to him together. I saw it happening right up here this morning. Not with a pie in the sky false optimism, but rather in the midst of feeling the pain. Together we cry out. Together we go to our knees and we weep. And while we are there with those tears, we sow. You see, the farmer who has given up, the farmer who has given up stops sowing. A farmer who has no hope, no hope of the sun shining or the rain coming or of life would not keep sowing. But church, together we keep sowing. We keep sowing with our prayers and with our obedience because we believe that God is the fount of every blessing. Because we believe that his streams of mercy never cease. And we believe that in his time and in his way, which may be a long time from now, which may be when Jesus returns, but we believe that in his time and in his way, weeping will be turned into joy. He's gonna turn it around. Your weeping will be turned to joy. Those dry places will become rivers teeming with life and all things will be made new. God, Broadway, God will turn things around. He will. And as a result, the whole world will sing for joy in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. amen. And finally, I just want to say that all of this is about following Jesus. Amen. Give me Jesus, as we sang. Give me Jesus. Jesus knew the desert. Both that literal barren desert and that metaphorical place of sorrow, pain, and suffering. Jesus sang the gospel songs and the blues, and it all led him, his humble obedience and his faithful prayers and his tears led him to the cross where he died. And it was right there, it was right there in his sacrifice and in his death that he did the very greatest things for us and for the world. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen.